shots against per 60. Okay. I looked at expected goals for per 60, expected goals against per 60, and then the penalty differential. Because these are fourth line guys. Some of these are brawlers. Let's look at their penalty differential. So, um, and, and of course, not all these guys, when they're on the ice, shots against go up. I mean, no, most of these guys are well above 30 shots against per 60 minutes. So you're just going to get lit up. Um, they, they, all these guys like lead in goals uh, against per 60. Like this, they all have negative differentials when it comes to goals against and goals. When you say all these guys, you're including Fiddler in that. This is all four of those that I mentioned. Right. Um, Though Fiddler, granted, is better than Grant McLeod Rizzolo Chuck. So uh, his expected goals for per 60 is 1.85 and his against is 2.18, which is a much better ratio than you're getting from, from the other three. Um, I mean, there, there's some some bad ones like McLeod is is probably is is kind of in the middle. I mean, like, but these guys, I mean, they, these guys, you, they go on the ice. You're looking at given per 60 minutes that they actually play, which I mean would take 10 games in a lot of cases. They're going to give up roughly you know two to three goals. Yeah. Um, and score somewhere between one. <laughs> to somewhere one between and a half. one and one. Uh, and then penalty differential. Most of these guys are actually pretty neutral. Uh, they tend to take guys off with them. So, like, you have a minus one, a plus one, a minus one. Here's the interesting one. McLeod, his penalty differential, the bigger the number, the better it is. If it's positive, worse is it. Minus nine. Oh, my God. So, wow. And that's just a raw count. That's not minutes. That's yeah. a raw. Like, so he takes, he's taken nine more penalties than, than have given up when he's in the ice. So I, I, when I look at it this way, I mean, if, if – the Predators are insistent on having, you know, the rough and tumble, like eating, eating shoe leather and spitting nails, uh, while, while you know being glued to the ice. If that's the strategy they're going to go with, and, and think that um, they don't need to have as much depth, Fiddler is a fine option. He's better than what they have right now, and they keep they keep doing that. The guys they keep bringing on board always seem to be like just a little bit incrementally better than the last guy. Right. So if they continue this pace of acquiring random fourth liners, by the end of the season they should have like Patrick Sharp. Coming up, freaks. And welcome back to the show that's on the verge of a long-awaited bye week. You're listening to the Predcast, brought to you by OnTheForeTech.com. I'm Alex. I'm sitting here with Link and Maria. Everything going okay over there? Yeah, I'm just having some, you know, messing with audio settings. They're okay. a little finicky today for some reason. I mean, granted, it started out being me not plugging in our USB cable, but now things just look, you know, just getting everything balanced again. It's, it's, it we, do, we do it live. We, dis- do it, we record this, but we do it live. It's disconcerting when uh, I look across and just as we're starting the show, there's a big, like, concerned look on Link's face, but I guess everything's good. As long as it doesn't sound like I'm in a different room, I guess we're doing okay. <laughs> right. That happened once. Yes, that was a special day. That was very special. That's what happens when you change all your equipment um, and then don't test it from across the room. No, we didn't have any new equipment. We just put Mari in the other room. We just She was upstairs, and, <laughs> and we just recorded down here, and it was fine. But uh, we are uh, obviously here for the, the Predcast, and we're going to talk about Predator stuff. We've got a lot of... Uh, a lot of things to talk about this week. The Predators went 1-2-0, and um, which is a mirror image of the previous week where they went 1-2-0. and So they've gone 2-4 and in their last six games. They are currently in a wild card spot, but barely. 60 points um, with a game in hand over Calgary. Of course, they, the Predators do play later tonight against Dallas in what is probably a pretty big game. But um, So uh, it, you know, I feel like after last week, we weren't necessarily panicking too much. 
Is anything different now? Yeah, last week they were pretty solidly in that number three spot in the central. But after this week, I said at the beginning of the week that this week would sort of show whether or not they deserve to be in that wild card bubble playoff spot. And at this point, it doesn't really seem like they belong there right now. That's a good point. Yeah, it was not a convincing week, even though it wasn't super convincing for the most part. Um, Certainly, uh, the Predators seem to have this pattern of figuring things out a little bit and they go through some, you know, very, very gentle, you know, hills and valleys and then they'll just have a game that you look at and be like, well, that's why they're struggling. You can see like that, that, that. You can just pick up these very obvious moments of why the team's struggling. And we seem to get that reminder every two, three weeks. They have a game where just like, yeah, you guys, you, you managed to go out there and muck it up again. Like Florida's game. Like the Florida game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was uh, very disappointing. We're obviously going to talk a lot about that. But um, this week... And over the last couple weeks has just been kind of littered with defensive mistakes, lots of breakdowns, um, some goaltending, you know, returning back to normal kind of kind of situation. Uh, I mean, they gave it 13 goals in three games. Um, some of those were the goalies. Some of those were defense. Uh, all of it just kind of mashed together does not end up, you know, it's, it's pretty disappointing to watch. I mean, we're you're talking about players like Roman Yossi and P.K. Subban and Matt Irwin, who's had a good year. You know, making some pretty terrible plays, and then even Fords. I mean, Forsberg made a terrible play at, in the Florida game. Austin Watson lost his man. I mean, there, there's just breakdowns happening all over the place. It's not just the defense or the goalies. Thoughts? No, I, exactly what you said. It's not just you can't just pin it on say one of the defensemen or the goalies having a bad week. It's there are just continuous defensive breakdowns amongst the whole roster. Yeah, and I've got theories about. You know, well, I think we've all agreed what the problems are. I, I just, I still don't like the Predators' approach to solving those because the solution seems to have been to completely shake up the fourth line by bringing in traditional fourth line players. But those guys are least effective when they're in their own defensive zone. Yep. And it doesn't fix the problem of defensive zone organization and accommodating. And really, I mean, I mean, the two big things that the Predators have to solve for is, is their disorganization. I'm going to say, I'm going to add one thing. There's three things. This organization, the defensive zone, protecting the slot and uh, recovering on the transition. Because mm-hmm. you watch, especially the Rangers game and the Florida game, the Predators on the you know, having to go transition from offense to defense is just not there. And yeah. and a team like the Rangers, you just watched over and over again, exploited that and got goals that way. One player is good in transition. That's Victor Arvidsson, but he's about the only one. Well, you can, I mean, there's there's definitely plays you can't criticize, um, or it's difficult to criticize. Right. I think you know, I think. Forsberg, even when he's at fault for something, is still out there working hard, doing what he, doing the best he can. Arvidsson certainly uh, doing a whole lot. I, I think, the, honestly, I think those those two are really beyond uh, criticism outside of nitpicking, you know, individual decisions. But I, I think the rest of the team, a lot of those guys are up for uh, some real uh, lecturing. I don't know. Yeah, I believe it was the Rangers broadcast we're talking about. The Preds would rather play with the puck than play defense, which doesn't sound too bad, but when you watch them out there, like you can tell that they're not really interested in being their own zone and, you know, recovering. Yeah. They're interested in getting up the ice as quickly as possible. Yeah, and, and no better, you know, there's no better way to see that than in, in some, some real actual statistics, and that would be, uh, you know, if we look at the shot attempt numbers, I mean, the Predators have been a solid possession slash shot attempt team all year long. They're fifth in the in, in Corsi percentage right now. Uh, almost all of that is because they are generating shots, not because they're stopping them. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're one of the best teams in the league at generating, sh- at generating shot attempts. That's great. 
but they still can't find a way to you know actually play defense in their own zone. And they're generating, you know, they're generating shot attempts. Their 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 Corsi looks great, mm-hmm. but you look at expected goal models and they start dropping down. Yep. So I mean, what what exactly are they generating? What are they actually getting on net? Are the I think some big questions. And and how how well are they even shooting? They're they're twentieth twentieth in shooting percentage at five on five, in in the league. But um, on that note, let's go ahead and jump into the actual games from this week. Um, so three games, obviously, uh, they played the Canucks on Tuesday. Uh, that was the only win of the week. Uh, the Canucks are um, actually not that far behind for the Predators in the uh, in the race for the playoffs. They're about, I think they're six I mean, points How behind. surprising is that for as, as, as messy as the Canucks have been and as right. poor as that team looks, they're still getting it done somehow. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, it just shows you, you know, the Predators absolutely cannot take – any games off. I mean, like when team when a team like the Canucks, who've been kind of a, a laugh most of the year, are still in the race. I mean, even you know Dallas, you know they've had such a mess, but they're right there as well. Um, yeah, they can't take any of these games um, lightly, and uh, right. they almost did that against uh, Vancouver. They did come up with a win. Um, we're going to talk about this guy a lot this from this week, but uh, Victor Arvidsson gets gets two goals in this one. Um, he one of the goals he had to get later get credited with but uh you know after going down one nothing early victor arvidsson makes a great play but really colin wilson kind of made that play because he skates into the zone and makes a great drop pass to arvidsson a really nice shot to tie it up um you know arvidsson's been floating around did you like you know arvidsson with wilson i mean i I don't i I think that that combination works i mean anyone who's going to get arvidsson the puck in dangerous places i'm going to be a fan of and and colin wilson continues to be a somehow maligned and underrated member of the Predators. Like, I see people just throw him into the bus at, like, a heart, like a heartbeat, and it just it perplexes me. And a team where you've got, like, Craig Smith, who's, who's usually so consistent, mm-hmm. you disappear, basically, like, you don't even know he's on the team anymore most nights. And Wilson just doesn't really be like, you know, I'm going to pick up a few assists and a goal here or there, and he's going to consistently throughout the season and be, you know, a 40-point-plus player. Right. Like, that's, that's pretty good. It's not bad. Yeah, he he play he always plays good with the puck, and he usually plays good without the puck. Um, I mean, when you play with a guy like Arvidsson, that's just kind of lighting it up right now. I mean, he's just on fire. That's gonna that's gonna make you look a little bit better. But Colin Wilson's played well as well. Uh, Cal Yarncroft gets a, a goal late in the first to make it two one. Um, it was just a kind of a rebound goal in front. Hard to tell exactly how it went in, but it was just you know it went in. Um, no scoring in the second period, and then Arvidsson uh, gets another one. Um, this is the one that deflected off his back and in that initially I think they gave to Forsberg. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Forsberg even admitted he was like, he, I think he's, what did he say? He literally told Jim Diamond that he thought it went in off of Arvidsson's ass. Yeah, that's right. That's what it was. Uh, yeah, but the phrasing was uh, <laughs> less than optimal for, for an interview. The phrasing was uh, maybe uh, had some euphemism laden possibilities. But anyways, it, you know, we knew what he meant. And it was three to one. Alex Edler gets a goal with about eight minutes left on the power play to make it three two. And this is where you're thinking, oh no, it, they're gonna they're gonna blow this chance against you know a team like the Canucks at home. And several after several people missed open net uh, possibilities. I think was it Yarncroft that missed one? Maybe uh, there were a couple chances at open nets, uh, empty nets rather. Uh, but Fisher finally ices it off and gets a. You know, secures the four to two win. So, someone had to do. It. I mean, I'm just so glad that the Predators scored on an empty net. Uh, it just they they seem to fight for those empty net chances. It, 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 who knows why? Maybe maybe uh, 
they need to get more predators in the all-star game to get practice from that four-line challenge to get in those empty nets. <laughs> yeah. I just want them to sit down and watch video of every single empty net goal from this season and be like, okay, this is how you score empty net goals. Stop icing the puck. All right. Yeah, exactly. I, I think uh, I think Craig Smith should have to, have to lead a class on scoring empty net goals as like just, just a continued penance for that roof shot over the net. I mean, yeah, I don't think I'll ever live that. Live that oh, down. you can't. No. I mean... That's it, when when people make like a, make highlight reels of the most embarrassing yeah. misses. It's always on there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, one day his miss against Montreal in overtime will sort of take over that. Oh, but highlight. that was just that was a there was nothing he could do about it. that. Was yeah, just that, that goofy, goofy, weird. Like I I still don't know. I mean, clearly it happened, but the <laughs> physics of it just still make my mind like, hurt. It was like this lightning strike in, of of like physics and and momentum and objects and. Newton's laws all just colliding into this weird oh, event. Such a weird, weird moment. It's one yeah. of those times when you wonder partially if the Preds' overtime woes aren't just because they're terrible at it, but they might be legitimately cursed. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of as we, as we know. The only team, the only team in, in the world that's cursed are the St. Louis Blues. Everyone else is just bad luck. Okay, St. The Blues are cursed though. No, oh, okay, they can't win the Stanley Cup. Not allowed. <laughs> well, that's uh, sorry, sorry, Blues fans. Um, I'm but not. <laughs> <laughs> Tuesday, they so they get the win over the Canucks, and um, by the way, Pecorine started that game and played played well. I mean, I don't think you hey, come, away, yeah. come away with anything. Played Pekka style. Yep. Pekka style. Classic, classic Pekka style. <laughs> classic not, Pekka. Not neo-modern Pekka style. <laughs> Post-Pekka. Anyways. Uh, Thursday, they play at New York. They go for a brief trip to New York and play at the Rangers, and um, UC Soros gets the uh, start in this one. Things looked so good. Going into the second period, I mean, early in the second period, they get a, it's 2 nothing. Uh, Cody McLeod gets a, a goal in the first. Kelly Yarncroft gets a really nice, you know, just dangerous slot area wrist shot. Just looks beautiful. 2 nothing, And then, boy, did the wheels fall off. Just nothing went well yeah. in that second period and then, or the third. Oh, yeah, the, the, and that's where we go back to what I said at the top of the show. That transition, I mean, you just watch. It's the Predators getting caught out. They just cannot get turned around or the speed of the Rangers letting them get set up. Uh, it just it just kept happening. And, and That's right. All four of the Rangers' goals were transition goals. I think the, the – and at times, like some of the defense, like Yossi on the yeah. – I think it was on the Kreider goal? Uh, um, it was on the Miller goal. I, was, it Mil- was it the Miller goal? Well, actually, he was, he was, was kind of – Kreider was like right in the in Right the mix. in front. Yeah. And, and like – I don't think like Yossi looked like he didn't know Kreider yeah. was was there, and they were literally. I, I think they were touching, and Yossi just seemed yep. oblivious. Yeah, and Kreider's like, uh, okay. He also Yossi also had a turnover as he was trying to exit the zone on the goal before that, the Miller goal. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a couple bad goals. Yeah, and he he it, when when you're coming back from your your what number th- concussion. You, you get a little worried when you see a player who who makes like very odd plays that are out of character for him, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. lacks awareness on the ice when he's normally a very like attentive player. And you wonder, did they bring him back too soon? Um, is he not where he needs to be, or or is he ha- still having some symptoms? I mean, I I just get concerned with with a player like Yossi who's had that many head injuries. Right. Yeah. Um, I said this before, and I, I think there could be a little bit. You know, for for years the Predators had the sort of Pekka's got it mentality, and I. There could be a little bit of that going on. Like they're like, oh, we want to get up the ice, up the ice, because we know that Soros is, is solid in goal. If we have a turnover, he's probably going to get us, cover us. I think maybe a little bit of that, but still some really terrible turnovers. I, I, I looked at the, as I do for every game, I looked at the Hockey Viz uh, shot location chart, the goal chart, after every game 
I review it before that we, we record for each of the games that week. And pretty much every time the Predators are losing or giving a bunch of goals, they're all clustered together in the same area. And it's exactly what you, and, and it, it kind of strikes when you're talking about Alex in that they rely on Pekka to some weird degree. Like they think he's going to stop everything. But when all these goals are clustered right at the bottoms of the circles in the slot, right in front of the blue paint. I mean, those are really, really, really hard for goaltenders to stop. And if there's no defensive support or, or you know, a player like Yossi who's essential in that defensive zone to make sure things stay, remain in control and organized, if he doesn't know where his man is, or you have, like, in the, on the fourth goal, I think, when, you know, Ekholm was trying to defend two guys by himself, there was no one, like, everyone else is kind of skating around the zone, and there's two guys in front of Pekka, and, and Ekholm's sort of like, I can cover one, right. but I don't know what to do but the other one, and that led to a goal. It, I don't know what you expect Pekka to do in a lot of those situations. Actually, that was, sorry, that was Soros. Well, but it, I think um, both in that game, but... It, you know, regardless, yeah. I think they're doing it to both goalies. But I, I think Saros got a nice introduction in the Rangers game to what it's like to play without any defensive support because yeah. there's nothing. Like, I really think, like, three of the Ranger goals, Saros was just sort of like, I can do my best, but there's only so much I can do, guys. Yeah. And you saw a little bit of, you know, people obviously know what people are starting to learn, um, what kind of goalie Saros is. And uh, I think the, the, the trick is trying to go up high on him. But uh, even then, he's not, he's not terrible at defending that. But. If you go, you, you're going to be able to go up high on most goalies if you are three feet in front of them and there's no one stopping you. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. no goalie's just going to be able to stop that the, all the time. That I mean, going shooting high is is how you score in most goaltenders in the NHL. If you on just a raw shot, because it's the hardest area to get to, because they have a heavy stick or a heavy blocker and they have to get it up high yeah. from being down low. So it's always going to be difficult. Which is, I think, one reason why the, the NHL is kind of getting over the just draft for giant size goaltenders, right? Like, exactly over talent. Yeah, so uh, they they lose that game after being up 2-0, and a really pretty disappointing result in that one, losing 4-3. Roman Yossi had a goal late in the third, uh, but, you know, and they they, they pressed at the end and almost almost tied it up, but, you know, they didn't. So So then on Saturday, the Predators come back home to play back-to-back. They had uh, the Panthers on Saturday, and then they have the Stars tonight. This Panthers game, I mean, I don't know what, you can take. I mean, the, the the cool thing is, you know, obviously Victor Arvidsson getting a hat trick is really neat. Um, I think everyone would have loved to have seen so that. Neat. <laughs> so <laughs> neat. So uh, neat. But man, was this a just just tire fire on ice? Yeah, it's hard to to find a lot of pauses. I mean, you you can dig in and say, hey, Arvidsson hat trick. Yeah, that's fun. Who doesn't love to see Arvidsson celebrate and have a great time? I said it was neat. Um, it's getting Sorry, kind I don't of mean to over, <laughs> overstate that. You know, it's getting kind of old to see a Preds player get a hat trick and the team lose the game because this is not nearly the first time it's happened. Yeah, no, I, I just you know, and, and going through and watching the goals, you know, this like, you know, going through and, and reviewing them, like, okay, what went wrong? Was it good? I mean, I, the Predators should be able to pre- prevent half of these goals. I mean, it, it was just mistakes and breakdowns, and and I mean, it, there were some lucky chances. I think that kind of one that Huberto, I think was it Huberto in the set play where he just sort of walked and shot the puck and uh was that at the end or in the third period yeah yeah where he where Huberto. it was just sort of like he got the puck walked over and just shot it and went right in the net yes it's like okay I mean that's going to go in a reasonable amount of chance it got through a lot of traffic and he was a little bit like but it was a good try yeah um so I mean there were some bounces that definitely went against the Predators but they, I mean they really hurt themselves there was the uh, the goals that really stick out to me are um, 
the Jokinen goal to make it two one early, uh, which was another breakout. You know yeah. where where uh, the defense looked totally lost, and Jokinen came in just completely yeah. untouched. Peck was was he he heavily committed that Way, shot, and yeah. there was nothing he was going to do with it with someone at the back door, especially with as clean as the pass was. Yeah, when you see a goalie fly across the 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 crease. Just lunging at the other side, you're. Pr- I mean, a goal's coming. <laughs> yeah, and, and even if, if, if there are a number of things that could have gone wrong, that Pecky would have been at position for. So he just he's super overcommitted on that uh, on that play, and then just bit him immediately. Yeah, the other goal uh, that I think about is the Trocheck goal to make it four two. Forsberg does a great job to get into the zone and then to pull back and look for look for someone across ice, but just makes that long blue line pass that is very dangerous. And Trocek sees it all the way and just goes the other way and has like, you know, 40 feet to figure out what he wants to do. And he shoots, I think, on Rene's glove side. So. I mean, also, I, the, thing, the other thing they kill with like the uh, Bukestad goal, which was that amazing sort of like very quick backhand that went over Pekka's shoulder. Yeah. Like I was right. a little surprised. Like, I was super surprised by that because normally if Pekka just seals off the post, his body's there, but Pekka didn't just seal off the post. He's, he went over and then is, is go, reaching with his stick, I guess, to disrupt the play. Mm-hmm. And that meant he had to drop his shoulder. And Bugstad, whether he recognized the, the, what Pekka was going to go for and read the play or he always intended to do it, either way, he just saw the opening. It was, it was there. Yeah, yesterday's game was when you get unlucky and you also play terribly. That's the only way you're going to give up seven goals in a game. Because oh. that... Pass to um, the Forsberg pass that got taken away for the Trocek goal. It's like he does that every so often. It's not super wise to do it, but most of the time the um, forward is not going to bat it out of the air and go on a breakaway with right. it. But like I said, it's that time when you put in a terrible effort and you deserve to lose and everything goes right for the other team. I think the, we, if, looking back, I think the iconic moment that defines that game against Florida yesterday was uh, the, right before the fifth goal which was um, with the puck went into Subban's skates, and Subban was like, this is bad. Like, this is really bad, because I am right in front of the goaltender. The puck is in my skates, and... I, I don't know. Does he panic? He because, just fell down. Because he's, like, he's clearly, like, trying to figure out how to get to the puck, but, like, I think he's... he's Arms and legs disagreeing what to do, and he just sort of spun in a circle and fell over. Is this the Barkov goal where it's kind of off the face-off? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, that's yeah. the Barkov goal. Right. And, and sort of... So, yeah, I think that really defined that game for the Predators just because Subban seemed to forget how his body worked and just collapsed to the ice. It was bizarre. But even then, I mean, I, you know, shortly thereafter, Victor Arvidsson gets that shorthanded goal, which, by the way, was a just a beautiful play by both Ellis and, and Arvidsson. El- Ellis to kind of jump up into that play, and then uh, Arvidsson to not drive to the net on that play is a pretty smart play because, you know, first of all, they're shorthanded, so he can't get caught d- deep. But also to pull out and realize he's he's got tons of net to shoot at, so he does that. Anyways, five to three, late in the second, going to the third period, you're down two goals, and I mean this team's more more than capable of coming back from a two goal deficit. And then Huberto gets the gets the goal, the one you mentioned earlier. Um, at this point, Soros is in the net, by the way, and it's six to three, and that just really changes things. <laughs> so. A lot. There were a lot of goals in this game where you just sort of stared at the ice, thinking, "How did that just happen?" I thought the momentum seemed to have gone right back onto the Predators bench, and then boom, it's gone. So, I don't know. It, is this just a you know a lightning strike, and uh, you you just kind of hope it doesn't happen again, or are there are there bigger problems? But it keeps happening. 
I mean, yeah. it's not just. I mean, I think I think the bad luck is one part. There was some bad luck there, but it's not like all those goals were scored for bad luck. I mean, they, some of them were scored just through legitimate mistakes or an inability to read the play properly in the defensive zone. Yeah, it took them thirty minutes to get more than what six shots on goal. I mean, that's. I think that's a, a big signifier. The Predators are the ones who they they got lucky as well that they yeah. were scoring. They had what two sh- two goals and seven shots. Granted, one I think might have been actually deflected in by. Uh, a Florida player as well. Yeah. Otherwise, it might have gone wide. It's hard to tell at the speed the that shot was going. Yossi goal? I think yeah. so. It was sort of bouncing. Yeah, it was a, it was a funky one, but it definitely might have gotten tapped in um, off, a, off a stick from, from a defenseman from Florida. So it, it's, both teams got a little bit lucky, but the Predators just happened to have the wrong... Uh, they happened to have the actual like breakdown they could control. They broke, they broke down. Yeah, you have to put yourself in a position to win in hockey because it does come down to luck so much. But they have been putting themselves in a position to lose just about at least once a week. It's yeah, it's pretty frustrating. Um, the the one uh, I know we've mentioned it already. The one shining light out of out of that game, Victor Arvidsson now leads the team in goals, which I think is just poetic justice because he's clearly been the best player, the most consistent player all year long, and now he you know is second on the team in points, leads the team in goals. I think that's just. That says a lot about him. Um, what I love about that, because you know, whenever I hear a team like so, Victor Arvidsson, who's who worked real hard last year, didn't see a whole lot of result for that in terms of you know goals and points. This year, we see him have the same work ethic, and he's getting the goals and he's getting the points uh, to back it up. And so I say, okay, well, at five on five, what's what's he shooting at? Because is he is he one of those guys who's coming in shooting fifteen percent, and we're gonna be like, oh, we're gonna pay him all this money, and then he's gonna come back next year and and drop back down to you know nine, eight, seven percent. Well, five on five, uh, he is shooting this season at eight point seven percent, which That's could good. be a good, which is a sustainable shooting rate. It's yeah. above average, but it's a sustainable shooting rate. Which it, it strikes me as being a really good sign. So when I see Forsberg's is around like ten, so yeah, and, and Forsberg's definitely a better shooter than than Arvidsson. And Arv- yeah, Arvidsson just has that volume of shot. Being a winger, he, he doesn't have the, the you know he's just put put him away, put him away, put him right. away, and that's really really encouraging. And I think that that's how he deserves to be leading the team in goals is because shot volume and and getting to go in. Yeah. yeah, someone in the comment section for the post game for the Florida game mentioned that everybody's always saying Arvinson should not be leading the team in goals, but he ha- he's 18th in the league in shots on goal. Yeah, so I, it's just that volume, that, that work ethic. Yeah, I, I think and I'm not I'm not really comparing talent level here. I'm comparing style. I, the most comparable player to Arvinson is is a guy like Alexander Ovechkin. They're both left wingers. They both rely on shot volume, um, and I think. Uh, you know, Ovechkin converts at about the same rate. The same rate. Yeah, his but, a shooting percentage is not very high. It's just how much he shoots the puck. Yeah, I, it was it was news this week when he went a game without a shot because it had been <laughs> three more or plus years with it with, where he had a, at least one shot per game. Yeah, Three hundred and fifteen consecutive games with a shot on goal. Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a huge asset. That's what makes Alexander Ovechkin so so great is that he can consistently get shots on net. He's got a great great shot. Yeah, um, Arvidsson's sort of like a mini baby version of Ovechkin. That's a, I mean, that is a fair comparison. I mean, he, he doesn't, uh, he obviously doesn't have the weapon, um, and no one does, but he is a weapon, you know? I mean, he, he just, you can put him anywhere. I mean, think about, he's been on every line. He's been with about every other forward all year long. He's been, he's been almost plugged as a, just a, as a battery, like, okay, this line needs some life, put him on there. 
he, instead of trying to figure out where he goes, they're using him to fix other problems. He's got a simple game. Draw, you know, skate towards the net. You know, if you can get around the opponent, you, he's got a few tools to get around opponents and then take the shot. I mm-hmm. mean, that's how the NHL works is you get the puck on the net and you keep doing it until it goes in. Uh, yeah, there's that Twitter meme for Arvidsson's describe the goal. I shoot, I score. Right. It's, it says it perfectly. Um, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about uh, Victor Arvidsson um, because because he's been such a huge part, we're going to talk about contract, but we're going to do that after the break. Um, one final note I wanted to mention about the team, um, thinking about the goaltender specifically. So I've got some some numbers here on the last five games from Rene and from Soros. Um, Rene's last five games, he's got a 920 save percentage. Um, he, so he's stopped 126 of 100, 137. Um, Soros' last five games... 905. Uh, so he's he's come down a little bit, obviously. Now, um, we've we already mentioned the the the, the defense in front of them. Um, I don't know. I, I I still think Soros deserves. I, I I still think that the goalie, the goaltender situation needs to be a split at this point. Maybe leaning towards Rene, but because uh, we knew we said I think we said on this show two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Soros's numbers are going to come down. They're going to regress a little bit. So. Yeah, they were definitely going to regress from whatever it was, 9.55. But him being a 9.05 over the past few games isn't necessarily his fault. He's, goalies are going to give up goals on the attempts that they've, that they've been giving up. Yeah, exactly. So uh, anyone saying that, you know, it's, it's Rene's fault, it's Soros' fault. No, it's, it's really neither one of them. They're still play, both playing pretty well. Um, you know, they're going to they're gonna give up goals. They are who they are. They're not, uh, you know, I, I don't think that they're just going to all of a sudden become a different player than they are. Uh, we're still kind of figuring out who Soros is, but uh, just keep in mind that goalies are, um, it's hard to really predict goalies. You can only really go with what you know, and, and what we know is that Rene is going to stop some some shots if you ask him to at about the league average, and Soros right now is doing a little bit better than that. So, um, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break, and uh, we're going to talk about some contract situations. We're going to go around the central and talk about who's buying, who's selling, because... Um, seems to change frequently for some teams. And uh, maybe talk about some other things and, of course, take your Twitter questions. So um, in the meantime, thanks for listening. You're listening to the podcast. These days, you need to partner current and latest website design standards, one that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lions Zone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. And welcome back. Um, well, since we were just talking about Victor Arvidsson, and he's about the only bright point of this team at right now <laughs> let's keep talking about him how about that 
Okay. Works for me. All right. So he is an RFA at the end of the year. Um, would like to see some sort of a contract set up before all that happens. What What are your thoughts about what uh, what kind of contract Victor Arvidsson deserves? What do you think he'll get? Um, I think early on people are thinking like kind of in the million and a half, maybe two. I mean, I'd say it's definitely higher than that. What do you think? If he keeps scoring at the rate that he's scoring, I mean, he's going to easily be able to ask for something in the four range. Okay. Four and a half. I mean, easily. And it's more, it's going to be ultimately a question of, as an RFA, are the Predators going to try, or is he going to try to lock him to a bridge contract? And how stiff are the negotiations going to be? And there's, there's a lot of factors that could go into this still. Yeah. That and also knowing how Poyle likes to sign contracts, like the Yarncrook contract, which is a very small dollar for a rather long term. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if he's going to do a bridge contract for Arvidsson or a longer one, it's another. Yeah, there's a bit of a gamble of, hey, do we is what Arvidsson doing legit where if we can get him to sign a four and a half million dollar contract for six years, we do it um, wow. and that'd try to. Hmm? That would that'd be a lot. It, would it? I mean, if he's your leading goal scorer. And he's going to put up 25, 30 goals a season. That's yeah. nothing. That's cheap. If these cheap. numbers are real, then that would be yeah, reasonable. Yeah, if, if his numbers are real, then that, it, it's, it's I, I think, even a value, especially you know, if, if the cap you know, moves up in the future. Right. Um, but, I mean, he's an RFA. They could try and do a bridge contract and get him for cheap because they have that, that mm-hmm. control. I, I look at, you know, I, I kind of did some comparables and looked around at some other, other players. Um, you know, one thing is that Arvidsson is a very different kind of player. There's not a lot of players like him that that have this sort of like engine and motor and offensive kind of ability, but also some some skill too. I mean, he's not an unskilled player. He's not a traditionally skilled player, but he's got he's got some good puck handling. He can he can shield the puck and pass well, and he's certainly been uh, been better at shooting. As reads you the game earlier. extremely well. From his, I mean, ba- you don't score as many short-handed goals as Arvidsson does without being able to read the play very right. well. Um, and so I was looking at some other guys. So I looked, so like Andrew Cogliano, for example, he, he got a four year, $12 million deal. So about $3 million. I mean, I would, I would say Arvidsson is at least as, at least that level. Um, Matt Bolesky, who I think, I think was probably overpaid, but you, wait, you think he was overpaid <laughs> five years and nine. You want to break million. that down for me? Can you think Matt Bolesky was overpaid? He's got what? I, like I, I maybe he, he doesn't even have like double your points since. Uh, yeah, he's definitely. They're definitely regretting it now. Uh, but five years, nineteen million. So he he was about four million. So if you're thinking, I mean, it, it, there's some odd odd contracts out there. I think uh, you know Niederreiter at the time probably that contract was fine. Now he's probably underpaid because he's having a great year in Minnesota. Uh, three years at eight million. So he's like not even a three million dollar player. Um, it's really tough to say. I think that you'd have to, you really almost can't look at com- comparables because there's so few players out there like Victor Arvidsson. I mean, I, if you look at Arvidsson, say he's a he's kind of he, well, he plays the PK, so he's got the all. He, they recognize him as being an all-around player. He can score in any situation, and he does it through consistent shot volume. I mean, that's I don't think that's that, that's exactly what you want in the NHL. He's I don't think he, he's got an atypical still, skill set. I just think that the Predators were really lucky to uncover a player who has a drive to improve himself because you know sitting around a table in covering him for a year last season and saying, Hey, we love his work ethic. He skates real hard. Uh, he goes out there and, and does what you need him to do, but his shot is awful. And he comes into the season and his shot is drastically improved showing that he had, he, he clearly put a ton of work in the off season in, in getting himself ready for the NHL. Um, you know, I, I think the, the uh, you want to lock him up. 
you you want to try and not overpay him because that's going to be really difficult to judge right now. Um, but I, 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 I think you, you, you need to look beyond, like, I certainly, Bolesky, you can't, is not a comparable. I mean, he had a season shooting ridiculous numbers. Mm-hmm. Cogliano is a difficult player because he's not, I would say, on the same level as Victor Arvidsson, um, really. So I think Arvidsson is kind of going to need to Top be, line winger, but he's, he's maybe a little bit different, but he's a top line left winger. I, I, I yeah, um... I, I really think that, you know, if the Predators are going to be in a situation of are they going to try and use the RFA stats to get a couple more years at a very low price and then risk having to pay him a ton of cash in, in a couple of years, or are they going to try and actually uh, just lock him up for as long as they can at, at what may be a lower rate? Yeah, I'm not sure how many more years he has of RFA status, but just spitballing this morning, I f- was thinking, you know, the Colliano numbers, the three million by four years, sort of what I was spitballing, sort of balancing the term versus the dollars. So when you so Link, when you said four, I was thinking that was the ceiling. Um, I, I would I would think, you know, I think if you could get if if Poyle to work out some sort of a three year, twelve million dollar total, so about a four million dollar cap, that would to me that would be the most. Uh, and that's why when you said a term of six at four and a half, like I feel like that's a lot. But I mean, look, you're, here's here's numbers that support what you're saying. Victor Arvidsson is fifth in the league, fifth in the entire league at generating shot attempts per sixty minutes. He is fourth most in in just generating shot attempts. He is as you. What was the number you mentioned earlier about his? Um, he's eighteenth in shots on goal. Eighteenth in shots on goal. Obviously, he's doing a lot of things right, and none of that has anything to do with luck or anything. On that note, his luck is a little high. His PDO is his, is high. Well, but I that's mean, just but that's going to be always save percentage. So just ignore that. Well, I mean, I mean, it because it, it, it doesn't. I mean, his shooting percentage is, as we know, his five five shooting percentage is eight point seven, yes. which is great. If, S- if his PDO is high, who cares? Yeah, well, and Sidney Crosby's PDO is high as well. I mean, so it wow. it only says so much. Um, but you you can't you have to look at, you know, you have to look at a lot of things. Um, we, the most important thing to look at is what does he mean to this team? And I think he's no bigger. He's, there's no one on this team that is bigger on the team than him. He has the biggest role. Uh, you saw that when he went out for uh, those brief injuries, anytime he's not out on the ice, the team takes a dip in, in offensive output. Um, so maybe four and a half, you know, per year is not, not crazy. No, I, 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 Really don't think it. I mean, it will be because you just look, even look at his history, and you know he went from, uh, you know, mix going back and forth between like the junior team, in when he was playing in Sweden, as far back as as twenty thirteen, he was playing games in the Swedish junior league, and then he went, you know, he he had some games in actually the, the Swedish elite league because he was bouncing around a whole lot, and then you know he goes to Milwaukee, and he, you're like, okay, well he you know he peaked, he's peaked at like eighteen goals. Uh, you know, I think it was his most that he's yeah, 20, no, 22 in the 2014-2015 uh, season for, in Milwaukee. And he did that with his garbage shot. Mm-hmm. And it, it, like, it, so you, even if you look back, it's so hard because he was clearly not a great shooter, but scoring plenty of points to get attention. And now that he's fixed that glaring thing, it's it's sort of like if if Hornquist could have found a way to learn how to skate, which clearly just something that just he didn't have a tool he just couldn't build up on trading. Hornquist would have been a disaster because if he if Hornquist could skate, he would have been a nightmare for any team to play against, and he still is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, certainly Arvidsson would have been a a pest, a threatening pest if he could if he had his shot from last season, a shot probably from the rest of his life. Um, but he'd be sitting on like 
eight goals. But he, yeah, he, he'd be, yeah, he, he might be a 15 goal scorer. He might brush 20 by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he'd still have a place on the team, but we just wouldn't be talking about his salary next yeah. year. Uh, but with, with the quality of what he's been doing, I, I think that, you know, if, if you pay him short term when he turns 27, um, you've maybe saved some money, but then for the next three years, you're going to be paying him probably a whole lot more, or you can lock him into a max term contract for, you know, more than you might feel comfortable with immediately and end up saving your, your team some money in the long run. Yeah. I, uh, it's, it's really, I mean, that's the, that's the crazy thing is teams love how late this RFA age goes, but for high skill players or unexpectedly skilled players, it, it's very difficult to manage because you're always gambling. Right. Yeah. It, uh, I would think that, uh, you know, Poyle likes to do the, the six by six, the four by four, the one by one, um, a four by four for, 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 uh, Forsberg, for Arvidsson would be fine with me. You're, you're, you're going even I, more I, six, I, by, well, six no, by four. I, I think, well, I, I didn't say like seven by 4.5 or something like that. If you could, if you can convince him to do it, I don't think he get would him, do, I think get his agent would, would, would definitely turn that down. Yeah. Um, get I, him to I, his thirties. Yeah. Well, yeah. Lock a player. Lock if you can lock your scorer into the age of thirty at a good contract, mm-hmm. and he puts up twenty five, thirty goals a season, you're going to have done really well as a GM. Yeah. Um, but I, I think if we try to delve into realism, you're okay. The players are going to take him to our, you know, they maybe go to arbitration. They're going to try and and get him for you know two and a half to three and a half million for four years, and then figure it out when they get to the end of the RFA window. Yeah, that that seems more like what Poyle's style would be. Yeah, I'm not. Does he have? I'm sure he has arbitration rights now. But I'm thinking maybe it'll wind up like El, like Ellis's contract was last year. So he's sitting out through half of training camp, and then suddenly we get a Twitter notification that yeah. he's been signed for a zillion years. Well, he's 23, so usually RFA stats goes to 27. Um, or I, I meant arbitration rights. Oh, okay. Whichever That's I said. No, I. I assume he'd be covered by arbitration rights. Well, you know, I think... Yeah, he's arbitration eligible. Okay. I, one thing that I, I think we are all pretty sure won't happen, at least I'm pretty sure it won't happen, I don't think a bridge contract will happen. I don't think it'll be a one-year, six million, any kind of thing like that to prove, your, prove yourself. We know, what you, we know what you're capable of to pr- prove yourself again. I don't think we'll see that. I think those are not in vogue anymore. I don't think you see them much in the league. You see GMs wanting to commit to guys in order to, like you're talking about, save money in the long run. Um, Having said that, yeah, maybe I, it'll be. Maybe it, there will be. So the the, the other option, because I was just looking, just making sure I'm pulling everything. So he birthday is April eighth. So he's gonna only ha- he's only has three really going to be three years, um, as an RFA, and uh, you know the Predators may want to be like they want to probably maybe do a two year or three year contract because you would take him right. To, I mean, three year would be arbitration, but two year, you know, you get to see a little bit more of him. You have a year as an RFA still when they have, when he's not under con he doesn't have a contract. Then you can figure out if you want to try to lock him up long term, or if you needed to coast it out and see, or or then bridge him or something. Um, I mean, there's so I mean, it's it's the RFA system, the CBA. The, the team has so much flexibility. The players is going to do the best they can to make their career as valuable as possible to their long term future. So, one thing to consider there is the Predators only have a certain amount of money to work with. You know, if they're willing to go. Uh, longer term, lower money as opposed to committing so much to one player in the short term because they've also got to sign Ryan Johansson. And I uh, wanted to kind of throw this out there. Uh, what do you feel like his value is right now? Uh, do you think it's changed? Do you think anything's different? Um, 
you know, he's been the top line center all year long and has been a, a big part of what the Predators have done offensively. Um, I still think $7 million a year is what it'll take. Think anything's different? Uh, I mean, I have written down six and a half to seven million to lock him up. Um, I think that's what he's going to be. I mean, it's certainly on the open market, open market, he probably gets something in that neighborhood. Um, so I think the president going to need probably something like that to keep him around. Yeah. My numbers were about seven to seven and a half, maybe for seven years. Seven by seven. Mm-hmm. I could see that. I did want to throw this out there though. I, you know, take the, take of this, what you will, you know, he, he plays the most minutes on the team in terms of forwards. Uh, he gets, he obviously leads the team in points, but if you look at his numbers over time, he, you know, he doesn't necessarily at five on five do as much as you might think he is. He sits 131st in the league at, at primary points per 60. So he is getting a lot of these points on volume. What was, what would the, uh, the measure of time? So how, how did you, did you do a minimum number of time amount of ice time? Because uh, it was it was minimum of two hundred minutes, so that's not I mean, that's small. Not a, but yeah, that, I mean that you, I think you might. I'm, the thing that concerns me about the per sixty for those things, unless you have set a very like a a certain minute range, because you have to really compare them to. to it might have been more than that. I people have, have put similar numbers of minutes because otherwise you get guys who have had like they're really in the low end and they've had some really lucky seasons. Or um, he is just, fourth on the team though, so he's behind. He was behind in that ranking. He was behind Ribeiro, Fisher, and Wilson in terms of points, primary points per sixty. Well, see, you're behind Ribeiro. I mean, see, you're behind Ribeiro. So I mean, that tells you a few things. Yeah, I mean, uh, in, in that. Well, I mean, Ribeiro got a lot of points. I mean, he was he well, was he got a lot points. of points in the first half of the season, then totally disappeared. Yeah. Well. Yes, yeah, when that's your list of who's ahead, it just sort of makes you question the effectiveness of that particular stat in this particular case. So primary points are not important? They might be important, generally speaking, but I'm not sure if they're useful right now. I mean, I would say, looking at the top list, I mean, you're talking about Sidney Crosby and, and Connor McDavid and Evgeny Malkin are, are, seems like a pretty, I mean... What about, is this, what about, is this uh, among centers only? That, that okay. was among centers, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, it, but I mean, in relative to who's actually on this team, I mean, the 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 Predators are consistently better off with him on the ice than not on the ice, and, undoubtedly. And there's no way, and I I don't think any of us disagree with this. You can get you're going to get him for less than six and a half seven million dollars. It's no. just it's not going to happen. No. And I, they, that's what I said. Yeah, and the team. That's why I said no one's yeah. going to disagree with it. And the Predators can't let him walk. So it's sort of like you can debate it and you can ask questions and hopefully the team are as far as be, being the best team they can be. But it's sort of like they're going to do their damnedest to re-sign him. If he doesn't want to be here, he'll walk, and that and that's it. But the team need that player because they have no replacements. And and like we've talked about before, like you've talked about before, Meyer, is uh, that you know he is still kind of getting adjusted to to this particular team, this particular game. Uh, there's been a lot of players coming in, in and out on on his particular line. Uh, it looks like he's pretty set with Forsberg now, but you know that could change tomorrow or later tonight. Um, and he's only 20, he'll turn 25 in July. So we're still looking at another five years solid of peak Ryan Johansson. Um, I'd be more than willing to pay $7 million to see what that looks like. Even if in the long term, you know, after, after five years of it, we think, oh, well, we overpaid for that. I'm more than willing to try that. I mean, because he's, he's definitely, you see, you see, you know, just visually watching him on the ice, you see the things that he does. So. He's improved by leaps and bounds since, he, since he's came here. He's work, playing on the PK now. He's playing a lot more on the power play. Giving him a 7x7, seven seven, he'll only be, what, 31, 32 by the end of it? I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. So what was, what was his um, primary points per 60? Did you have? 0.94. 0.94. So 
Uh, is that across career or just this year? That's just this year. Yeah. So, I mean, just as a comparison, because this is, this is why I'm a little hesitant. So, um, this is a former Predator player, um, a center. Uh, his, his career primary points per 60 is 1.48. Okay. And um, that would be Jason Arnott. And would you rather have Jason Arnott in it, when he was in Nashville with Ryan Johansson? Well, Jason Arnott, does lead, he has the most goals in one season for the Predators. I'm not saying I would take him right now or anything. Well, yeah, it's not the question I asked. It's a very different, he's a very different player. Right, but they're both, I mean, they're the, they were the first-line centers for the Predators. Um, I think, and, and one has, you know, a substantially higher primary points per game across his career. Without a doubt, I would take Ryan Johansson. Yeah, no, I, I, no so I mean, I think that the, the, the Predators are in, in a tough way because, you know, there's a debate if Ryan Johansson, is he a proper first-line center in the NHL? I think that, that Alex, the argument you're making is that maybe and this is playing the Predators, that he's really just a very good number two center. And the Predators still don't have that top 30. Because you know, if your top center should be a top 30 NHL player, roughly speaking. You know, should, should be one of the absolute best centers in, in the world. And Ryan Johansson's probably not. Uh, but that's kind of where the Predators kind of historically been. And he's certainly a better center than, than, than the Predators have had in history. Yeah, he's not, I mean, uh, he's, he's not Patrick Kane. He's not Sidney Crosby. I don't yeah. think he deserves that money. I think, I think $7 million is perfect. Um, I would absolutely take Ryan Johansson over Jason Arnott for so many reasons. Um, he's much more fun to watch, and he's a better playmaker <laughs> and uh, not... Yeah. It, so, make it even more interesting. He's so, not Jason Arnott. I mean, just for Nashville, so this is just games played for Nashville, Ryan Johansson's primary points per 60 is 1.07, and Arnott's is 1.66. What exactly did Arnett do? Did he just like... <laughs> well, he was playing with like Paul Correa and, J- and J.P. Dumont and uh, oh, David Leguan was the third line center on that Dumont team. Dumont was so like... I just look back and I'm like, we as fans also- did not value him as nearly as much as he deserved a lot of times. J.P. Dumont? And oh, granted, granted, I have, a, I have a signed photo of Dumont hanging in my, on my wall in my office, so I love J.P. I mean, that was... The, that, that's historically... His, you know, Jason Arnott was the top line center on what is historically the best offensive season for the Predators ever. So that's probably how he got all those points. I would say that the team I would take this team's this team's offensive ability right now over that team because that was a different league. I mean, that was post lockout, you know, craziness where goals per game went up like ten percent. So I would I would uh, your point your point is well taken. I think the primary points may, uh, is is only only says so much. I think here's the point I was getting at is he doesn't lead the team in in getting those primary points, so he does get a lot of his team. A lot of his points come on volume, and a lot of those, a lot of his assists are secondary assists. Not a lot of them, but a portion of his assists are secondary assists. Meaning, you know, how how involved was he on that play? I think most people would agree he is probably involved on on every offensive play when he's out there, uh, just because he's occupying ice and he's occupying defenders and taking time away from uh, defenders to occupy him, leaving guys like Arvidsson and Forsberg with more time. Um, I was just throwing it out there. I mean, like I, I don't think that. Anyone is suggesting his, his value is down. I just think, you know, it's something to consider. Um, there's a lot to a lot of uh, a lot of growth there. So, all right, um, let's uh, let's change gears here for a second and go. Let's talk about some uh, teams around the central and figure out if they're going to be. Well, it, the trade line, trade deadline is what two weeks away, something like that. Maybe maybe a little bit more. I feel like the central is in a weird place right now for whether or not there's going to be movement because I look at this list and I can make really good arguments for and against 
trading four guys for every one of these teams, including the Predators. Um, so let's just start at the top. What do you think about the Wild? Do you think the Wild should uh, are, are they are they in a position where they want to try to make a move to get get even better, or do you think that they should? What do you think they should do? Should they be uh, buyers or sellers at the at the trade deadline? I mean, if if they think they're going to make legit runs, I I, I think uh, I always advocate for a team of that level to or sitting at that position in the standings to just try and maybe flesh out some of the depth. I mean, that's never really a bad idea. Um, no dramatic moves. Don't try to disrupt anything that's working well. You know, if you need some coverage, if you need some, you know, bottom six coverage or you need a bottom pairing defenseman just to make sure if injuries bite, you've got something uh, back there that you may have a little more confidence in than bringing up a rookie. Uh, so for a team like the Wild, I always just see, hey, let make, uh, improve the depth because uh, if any anything to bring in a big player is going to shake things up and you're going to lose assets that you might otherwise uh, need and, and may have been successful to your formula. Yeah, they could probably use another scoring winger, but they've been doing pretty well. I'm not sure what their cap situation is like, but it's probably not great with how much money they're they're paying the Twins. Yeah, their their current cap space um, is two and a half million, but the projected cap space only is only it's just over eight hundred thousand. So, whatever ha- if they pick up someone and they fill up that that two point five, they're gonna either have to dump salary in the summer mm-hmm. or uh, do something if I, to, if to I'm, trade people away. If I'm the Wild, I don't move anything. I keep everything the way it is. I think they've got. They've got a solid, rock-solid offense. Obviously, they're good at goaltending, and defensively, they're great. I mean, I wouldn't change anything at the risk of uh, of just trying to get a little bit better. I think if that I don't want to face the Wild in the playoffs. I wouldn't want to face that team just because defensively, it is so hard to score against them, and they can score from so many different places. Uh, how about the Blackhawks? Do you think they'll uh, try to make a move? Uh, it seems like a very Blackhawk thing to do. Yeah, I think last year they traded like almost all of their picks, but this year they traded, four, they traded for Andrew Ladd. That yes, didn't work. that didn't work very well at all. But no, Stan Bowman, they're hosting the draft next year, and so he said they're not going to trade any draft picks because they want to make it special for their fans. That's such an odd thing. Yeah, and they've got a lot of draft picks though. Yeah, so they're not, they're not trading any of them. They've yeah. been over the past few years trading away almost all their picks for all these runs that they've been on. They do need they need defense really badly. Um, Brian Campbell got spun around like a top in their game last night. I think against Anton Lander, who's in yeah. who's in the AHL right now. Yeah, I don't know what they do though. If if they if they aren't really going to trade picks, I mean they've got a bunch in in this draft year. Um, they've got some late bunch of late round picks. I mean fit, we're talking fifth sixth round. Uh, but yeah, it's they're in an interesting position where to move anybody, they'd have to move someone that's important. And they can't, like, or they have to make packages of less important players. They're just in a tough spot. Um, I mean, they've got plenty of cap space right now, but it's it's going to disappear very very quickly. And they've got guys they have to play, so play pay. Uh, so any moves they make, they're going to have to be very cautious that they're, rent, they're rental players. So I mean, maybe if they can find a, a, a you know a older forward who wants to give it one more go, you know, and, and I don't even I'm not even indicating like a, a Ginla type because that just if, if they could pick up a Brad Richards or something, yeah, something, some, some, some guy who's got on the last year of his contract or is going to retire and they're not going to end up having to deal with that cap money. I mean, if Aginla were not uh, had not hit a brick wall this season, I think Aginla would have definitely been someone that that Chicago would have been tra- uh, chasing. What about Shane Doan? Um, I don't know what Shane Doan does for the Blackhawks. Um, they, if they need someone to elbow someone in the head, they've got players who can do that. Um, 
always comes up whenever we talk about Shane Doan. Uh, well, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, if you're talking about Shane Doan, if you're playing against Shane Doan, the elbow's also coming up. So it's going <laughs> to it's gonna come up. Uh, nice. It's what he does. <laughs> unless, uh, unless you're a hockey fan, in which case, he's the cleanest player in the world, and right. he has a hockey stick made of Skittles. Yeah. Those are the two nice things I'll say about him. I think what they'll do is not trade for anybody, and they'll just rest you know, guys like Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith and uh, Corey Crawford down the stretch, and then uh, when they come back fresh and healthy in the playoffs, it's like they have three new you know, All-Stars. I'm just, I mean, they only have 11 forwards on their roster right now. Uh, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I mean... They're getting pretty good mileage out of even some of those guys. Yeah, I, I think they're going to have to either call some players up or they're going to have to uh, make a move to bring some some just some depth in. Again, they're, they're in the same situation. I mean, they're going to be, you know, they're gonna, they're definitely going to be in the playoffs. Um, they're a, a quality team. And they just need to find the right depth options. If they can find some old, some older, you know, elite forwards who are not quite where they need to be uh, and bring them in, that you know, that's kind of right. where they're going to be at. Now it gets tricky. So St. Louis, um, St. Louis just jumped past Nashville in the standings. They're now in third. Um, they also have a new coach. They got a new coach. They still have goaltending problems. They're maybe trading Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, they don't have a ton of offense outside of Vladimir Tarasenko, but they've had good mileage out of some other guys. Robbie Fabry's out for the season. I mean, I feel like they need to make a move, but I don't know what it is. Uh I don't know. F- firing Hitchcock kind of throws everything yeah. out of whack. Uh, Mike Yo has at no point demonstrated that he is an effective NHL coach. Did, wasn't there a quote the day after the firing where he was like, oh, it turns out that being a head coach is really hard? <laughs> I hope so. It was something, it was something like that. I was like, I didn't realize it was this hard or I'd forgotten. I'm just like. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't understand uh, some of the coaching decisions that are made. Um, yeah, I, I don't know because you know they I, they have less flexibility St. Louis than Chicago does, which is weird. Um, they they clearly have no idea what to do with their goaltending. Um, I you know the Blues fans have the same syndrome a lot of Preds fans had, where they've somehow convinced themselves that Carl Hutton is competent at his job, um, and he's just not been good like he has been his entire career, which is what career. I don't understand. Yeah. It's like a, a goaltender who's demonstrably bad numbers continues to get work. It's it is it's it's like like uh, Curtis McElhaney. Curtis well, McElhaney, same thing. No, it's like it's it's like people who bring in Tortorella. Like he's consistently shown he's not very a very good coach in the modern NHL. He keeps getting work. Um, uh, and my mind just went blank uh, on on the coach in Anaheim, Carlisle. Yeah, Randy Carlisle or, 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 or Carlisle. Yeah, Carlisle. Yeah, like who's shown that he's just a bad. Like he's been incredibly ineffective. For after, years after the one cup win, yeah, yeah, right. for he also years. Helmets help cause concussions. Yeah, I mean, it, well, that's granted. That's like very much an NHL thing to say. I mean, who, if you haven't seen the article from New York Times about how the NHL is handling the concussion lawsuit, the parallel the New York Times draws is to uh, all the tobacco companies fighting the cancer research. Yeah, and so they're basically doing the they're they're using the same playbook to fight against concussion research. I think a lot. I mean, the NFL does that too. Well, the NFL has actually acknowledged there's links. The NHL denies there's any links. I mean, they are just flat out saying that <laughs> that no, this doesn't. We don't. We don't agree. Whereas the NFL has been like, is they're trying to say they're trying to argue the players knew the risks and that they do the best they can to protect them, but they've acknowledged that there's a link because it's pretty undeniable. Yeah, and it helps uh, when you hire your own crackpot, you know, uh, brain surgeon on the on the crew. Yeah, but the, the Blues are just, just to wrap back around. They're just in kind of in trouble because they don't really seem to have a lot of direction. They've got talented players who are good enough to get the job done. Um, I mean, certainly they've got Vladimir Tarasenko is one of the best forwards in the NHL right now. 
um, and they've got some nice pieces, but I, I just don't know. I feel like they could make a nice playoff run right now with who they have and get a little bit lucky and, and then not make it. I mean, they, they're not going to, they're not a cup challenging team in my opinion. Um, they're a not playoff team. They're, they're a playoff challenging team, not really a cup challenging team and say, how do we actually start building this up? But they don't have any money. Right. <laughs> I have no idea. This, I think as far as the central goes, I don't think there's any team that, that, that is in a stickier situation than the blues really, because their problems are more difficult to solve than other teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're going to skip Nashville. Uh, Dallas. <clears throat> so this Dallas team, man, things looked pretty bad there for a little while. All of a sudden, they've reeled off a few wins here back-to-back, and and uh, there's a big game in Nashville tonight featuring the Stars. So the obvious need is in goaltending. Uh, they've gotten some... Uh, Curry Lightning's actually been not that bad. Uh, Nimi's been terrible, but they still probably need to figure out what they're going to do long-term in goaltending because Kari Lettinen still is not that good of a goalie that he's just a little bit better this year. Not that bad, the Kari Lettinen story. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, there's talk of them trying to acquire Marc-Andre Fleury from the Penguins. Um, You know, who who knows? Maybe maybe they even go after Ben Bishop in Tampa Bay. But I I don't, unless it's goaltending, I don't think this team makes a move unless they're selling one of their players. They probably should sell one of their players. Their issue this year is that they've been extremely injured. So they've got one guy who's been out yeah. almost the whole season with for causes is, unknown. Is that uh, yeah. Hemsky? I think it's Hemsky. Yeah, because there was actually just uh, God, there's somebody was talking about. I think it might have been the uh, I can't remember if it was the coach of the GM of the Stars um, just today or yesterday said that you know Hemsky will play this year. And the only reason I know that's somebody. It might have actually been you, Mark. I don't remember who, but they re, it was retweeting my timeline. It was actually like. Alish Hemsky's wife or girl being like, yeah, please do get him out of the house. <laughs> um, so there seems to be some opti- op- optimization. That's not the right word. Optimism uh, that Hemsky will at least come back. But yeah, I mean, Hemsky's on injury reserve right now. Spets is in injury reserve. Um, you know, even Yanmark, who's, who's more of a depth player, is on injury reserve. Johnny is an injury reserve. And that's just right now. And that just means that depending on how long those guys are out, uh, the stars have deadline cap space of like $10.4 million. I mean, they have so much room and and it's so obvious what their problems are. If they Mm -hmm. just said, okay, well here are the guys we really need to build around and let's just figure out a way to get goaltending in the door. And you know, they've got cash, they've got flexibility. They just need to sort of figure out what their system's supposed to be. Yeah. They need to not be paying $10.5 million for crappy goaltending, but they also really need actual defensemen. Klingberg is their best defenseman and he is not amazing. You're saying, you're saying Ham Hughes is not, not the, the, the rock of the defense uh, of the defense. He is not the answer. What about, uh, Steven Johns? I think that guy has the goofiest name. I'm not even sure if he's playing in Dallas right now. (laughs) He might not be. Uh, He's either been injured or sent down to their AHL team. Isn't Honka a defender? Isn't he that that big prospect that you called up? Uh, Julius Honka? I have to figure out where he is. I think uh, Johns is currently listed as being with the team. Okay. I think we we all know what their problems are. They've a defenseman. They've given up more goals than the Avalanche have. Uh, Now, the Avalanche Avalanche just can't score. But uh, they've uh, the, the Dallas Stars are a bad defensive team. Bad goaltending team with a good offense that's injured, as as Link mentioned. So I, I would bet that they're sellers. Um, let's move on to the Jets. What do you think? Do the Jets try to acquire anyone? Do they do they move at all? I don't know where the Jets are at this I, point, really. Yeah, I, the fact that their entire goaltending situation seemed to be moving in the right direction and just collapse <laughs> makes it really hard to figure out what to do with them. They went back to Pavlik, didn't they? 
They did. They did, and he's gotten all sorts of praise. I mean, they, they're like they're a bottom tier spending team. I mean, they've got so much flexibility. Um, I mean, no one like you know you've got Marco Dano on injured reserve, and you have Tyler Myers on injured reserve, and and that's a little difficult. Lost Patrick um, Line for several weeks. He's yeah, back. I think then. Toby Instrom went out yeah. last night. Okay. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I mean, they've got a lot of their key guys are are signed for a long time. I mean, uh, I don't know. I think I think it's almost, you know, maybe better luck next year. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that they. I mean, who think who think? I mean, they could sell any number of players. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only thing people on here, like Chris Thorburn, Drew Stafford, are probably definitely both. Like, if you give us the right deal, we'll definitely send them off because yeah. they're UFAs. They're, you know, over 30, you know, maybe a, a buying team who wants to add a little bit of depth could be like, yeah, this, this is worth a shot. Oh man, you're right. Drew Stafford's kind of totally going to go to like St. Uh, San Jose or something. But yeah. You tell me that guys like Thorburn and, or, or Stafford aren't like ripe for going for being traded away for draft picks. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're definitely sellers, but you know, I think the jets are, they're good. They're moving in the right direction. Unlike the next team, the avalanche. So uh, what direction do they have? I think it's, I think it's more hashtag shame spiral. I think, hashtag shame spiral. Yep. <laughs> I think it's more about like, who do they move? I think God. there's no doubt they don't, they're going to move somebody, but the projected cap space right now. How much? It's $750,000. Oh my Seriously? gosh. Uh, projected cap space value is different between the cap ceiling and the projected cap hit. Right. Um, is that, so I'm using cap friendly for all of this. Um, I mean, their current cap space is like, is 2.4 million. That's still not a lot. How much, like, how do they have them wrapped up in their roster? Uh, I mean, if you just go through, if you, if I go through and you look at this year for actual salary amounts, I mean, uh, you've got McKinnon and Duchesne both above six. You've got Landeskog um, at 5.6, Aginla at 5.3, Soderberg, four four and three quarter million. Soderberg means over four. Four and three quarter million at the age of 31. I mean, Colburn, Joe Colburn, 2.5, Blake Como, 2.4. What is Varlamov at? Uh, Varlamov is at five point nine. Okay, um, but he's on injured reserve. I, I thought he was. Well, like on the defense, Eric Johnson six million, Tyson Berry five point five, Francois Beauchemin four point five million dollars for this season and next season. So I don't know. Maybe they're not going to make any moves because who's going to take any of those guys? And these are these none of these guys are are uh, other than a Ginla. All these guys are signed for a few more years. I mean, Duchesne is their only piece worth taking, right? I mean, I, I don't know how you. I mean, McKinnon right now he's twenty one. Well, yeah, okay. Of course, yeah. Besides, so McKinnon, so they're not moving him. Well, he's he's had kind of an off year, but he, that contract with how he's been performing this year difficult to move. Though I think teams would probably snap at it. Um, I mean, Duchesne, yeah, Duchesne or or, or Landis are the two most movable contracts. Um, Barry maybe, but his, he's at five million. Uh, Tyson, Tyson, Tyson Barry. Well, they yeah. can't afford. I mean, the thing is, they can't afford to move Tyson Barry because. After that, your your defense is just shoddy. I mean, Johnson and Barry are so important to that defense. Um, I, mean, I don't know. I unfortunately, I don't know a ton about some of the lower, the, the younger guys. But like their other, they've got Weir Mark Koch. Barbario. Do they have Weir and Cody Golubev? Golubev. I mean, these guys are like twenty six, twenty seven on seven hundred fifty thousand dollars contracts. I mean, it's just. The, those guys are just please go out and skate. yeah these I, but the, I'm assuming those guys were call ups. We need um, you to skate 14 minutes a game. But it's just all these guys who are you know older, just like yeah I say older they're in their late 20s, but they're just depth defensemen. I mean the the, the 
this team just has no money to spend the pieces to actually make a complete team. Yeah. They could they they can go and skate circles all they want, but there's no one to defend the back end if someone gets injured. Uh and they don't have any depth because they spent all their money on on a handful of players. It's sort of like if if the Penguins just completely mismanaged their acquisitions of of Malkin and Crosby and just said, "We're going to go ahead and give you guys both eight million dollars today," yeah. or whatever the the hell uh, Chicago decided to give to uh, Jonathan Taves to make sure he had the same amount of money as uh, oh, Kane. Right. Yeah, I mean it's just it's crazy how much teams tie their hands. It's just so much money for the like just for five players. So do you think they moved to Shane? I don't know. I'm not sure if they'll – they need to move him. They need to move a bunch of pieces, but I'm not sure if they actually will. Yeah, you have to ask. Is they, are they competent? I, I don't think so. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of radio and they're talking about – I think Joe Sackick is their current GM, and he appears to be completely disinterested in actually doing any GM stuff. He'd rather go watch his son's hockey games, which is a perfectly valid thing to do. But when you're also GM of an NHL franchise, you should probably have different priorities. Yeah. I mean, this is the time they're going to do it. I mean, like you have a lot of a lot of player, a lot of teams interested. I mean, all you have to do is pick whichever option you want better and, and just make the move. But if they don't trade Duchesne, if they don't make any kind of move and they just go into the offseason, just kind of just trying to recover what what they can with what two and a half million dollars of cap room is that what it was? Yeah, and, and that's and, not going to work. Yeah, and they've got uh, three upcoming. Uh, UFAs. I don't know if they're going to hold on to any of them. Um, I mean, I mean, they can sit on what they have, but nothing that's coming off the books is really going to make a huge difference. Like again, like coming off the books is going to help, but it's just they're in, they're in really, uh, really, really rough space. And then the the obviously the last team we haven't talked about yet is just a team that we've already talked about several times: Nashville buyers or sellers. In a sentence or less, what do you think? Team Stan Pat. I think that's what the comment section is calling it right now. <laughs> Team Stan Pat. I, I really don't know what, what else they do. Um, I don't think they've got pieces they can trade away for real assets right now. Uh, certainly, I, th- I think we've seen Poyle's strategy is all about pulling in more guys who are going to play six minutes and not solve the problem the team has mm-hmm. uh, I, and the way to improve the defense is not by trading away either Ekholm or ellis for a second line center no i mean the That's way to improve, improve the, the defense no the, the way to improve the defense is to change your philosophy of how your defense operates That's very true. because no matter who's injured who's in the lineup the defense has the same problem mm-hmm. over and over and over again it's not just the defensemen it's the forwards who are playing defense as well this system just clearly does not work a good point so um there's a lot there's a lot going on in the central division um one other bit of news we wanted to talk about is the firing of claude julian for um by the boston bruins um so claude julian in his first seven seasons with the bruins won a stanley cup and made the playoffs every year uh but did not make the playoffs last two and looked like it was probably gonna be the same this year um what do you? What were your thoughts on this firing? I thought it was. I thought it was pretty unjust. I think Claude Julian's a good coach. I think wherever he goes, whatever team gets him will be very, very happy to have him. Um, I think it would be really. You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him in Vegas. I wouldn't be shocked to see him in, in Colorado. Any other teams that that could possibly end up having him will be good. But uh, what were your thoughts? Another team that asked for permission to talk to him was Florida. So that would probably be Florida. a good place for Florida. Him to go. Yeah, Florida. Um, I mean, I was ha- I was I was surprised that 
didn't wake up to the, you know the news comes out and that and, and all of a sudden Mike Yo is locked out of the <laughs> the uh, um the whatever the, the the Scott Trade Center yeah. yes lockdown Scott Trade Center I pulled it out I pulled it through guys there you go I got it um he didn't like they didn't change the locks on overnight and be like oh who who are you Claude Jones been the coach the entire time I don't know what you're talking about uh, I, he's one of the, the best coaches um in the league he you know. It, the the everyone's kind of watched the Bruins descend into terribleness over the past three seasons as they make perplexing moves that I, I only assume Julian didn't have approve of with, or yeah. having to do with. Uh, I have a list here. Oh, would yeah. you like to hear this list? Mm. I've, I've mentioned this list before. I've added to it because there were some names I didn't I missed last time. So here are the play, some players that the Boston Bruins have traded away. Some of these just before Julian got there, but Joe Thornton is the is is a big one. Tyler Sagan, of course, Phil Kessel. Milan Lucic, Louis Erickson, Riley, and so to a lesser extent, these guys, but these are still important players. Riley Smith, Blake Wheeler, Christopher Stieg. They also traded Dougie Hamilton, who's been fine over in Calgary. Calgary. Um, Mark Stewart. <laughs> they had Martin Jones for four days. I think they only really acquired him to, to make a trade, but wow, that's a big list of players. That's a lot of all-stars. Yeah, and, and on top of that, I mean... The, you know, Tsukaraska has had some injury issues, and he's also being relied on so heavily because the defense for Boston lacks depth and is increasingly ancient. Uh, it's just it, it, the team was itself put in a really bad position, and for some reason, the coach pays for it rather than the GM who who created and built this team. But that's kind of how the NHL works. The the GM always seems to be the last guy to go uh, after everything else has gone wrong. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of players. Yeah, well, this isn't even necessarily the GM that caused all the problems. That GM is currently in Edmonton, who just signed Lucic to a 7x7. Seven seven. <laughs> so he's, he's off causing problems somewhere else, but it's not as, as if, I mean... It, this guy's not blameless either. He, yeah. what did he, he had three back-to-back first-round picks and chose, like, third-rounders. Right. Ah, uh, yeah. uh, that's Poyle style. <laughs> and uh, maybe that GM and who Who is the GM you're talking about? The one in Edmonton? What's his name? McTavish? Is that McTavish? No. No. I'm so bad with GMs. But maybe about to trade uh, Everly or Ryan Huge Hopkins, which would be a terrible mistake. Yeah. So just continue the streak of uh, I don't know. trading I mean, away good I players. I think he, they could survive Nugent Hopkins. They could move one to the other one. Uh, oh, Chiarelli. That's who it is. That's it's who it is. Chiarelli. Yeah. Don't trade Jordan Everly. That'd be a bad idea. It would be a bad idea. And just so we can we can close off, um, current GM. So Don Sweeney, that's it. Yeah. So Sweeney has, okay. in, in Boston has, has made his share really bad. Yeah, I think they call it Sweeney's Wild Ride. Yeah. And it's just... It, yeah, the the whole uh, Atlantic division is is having kind of a crisis of of leadership, and uh, I think it frequently the wrong guy is getting fired in most cases. Okay, so let's go to some uh, Twitter questions. Um, we just want to get to a couple real quick. You guys had some pretty good ones, but uh, um, at LG Vamos three. Um, says, why does Yarncrock, and this is kind of echoing something we talked about earlier, why does Yarncrock always go top shelf, as he says, top cheese? Uh, you can shoot low, Cali. They don't ask how, they just ask how many. Yeah, just score the goal. I mean, <laughs> I don't care where you're shooting it. If, if, you he, can, if you consistently shoot high and you're doing well, keep doing it because that's, it, that's – a lot of times uh, players, I think, get, get a bad thing – get uh, too much criticism for missing the net when they're shooting high. Well, it's hard to find that little space between the goaltender and the, and the top of the net. So if they're missing high or they're putting off the post high – they're doing what they need to do. They're going for those high, high danger areas on the goaltender. It's difficult for, for for them to stand up and block. So, I mean, 
why why be upset? Yeah, it's just however he can score the goal. There's more space up high than there is obviously where the blockers are. I think the benefit, and maybe what he's getting at, you know, the benefit obviously of going low is is there's more chance at a rebound. There's a <laughs> who's going to clean up the rebounds with the Predators? Uh, if you're not Yarncroft. other than the fourth line, who's going to clean up the rebound? But he's shooting the puck. If he's the one who has the rebound in the slot, so obviously going high would makes a lot of sense. I guess sense. you know, okay, so. Let's think about all the forwards. I mean, there's a lot of players, Craig Smith, for example, who like to go up 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 high. Colin Wilson's another one. I mean, not that that's not that it's not a bad strategy, but you know, there's more more chance at a goal on a rebound goal than there is on a puck that's in the net up in the uh, up in the stands. So it's not it's not a terrible idea. However, if you're good at it and you're good at it consistently, keep doing it. So um, let's go to another one. At Preds Talk, does the three-year lobby curse exist in your mind? If so, what do we do now? If not, how do you fix it? Three-year lobby curse. So after three years, fatigue sets in or that something's not working. And uh, Well, I mean, I think lobby like got burned out in Philadelphia primarily because it was the um, uh, issues with, with the, the GM. Okay. Um, like, that was pre-Hextall. Uh which changed everything, and and Carolina was never a good team. Never a good team. Uh, they just never ha- they just got really really lucky, and then came back down to earth. So I don't know if there's a Laviolette curse. Uh, I, I'm more interested in watching this because I want to know how Poyle handles his second coach in history. That's a good point. Yeah, and no, I agree with Link that what his um, assessment of his time in Philadelphia, it doesn't seem to me that he's lost the room or anything like that. I just, I'm not sure necessarily how, how he's coaching, how the, his style is working. If he hasn't corrected the problems on defense. Yeah. And I, I wonder if there's, I mean, certainly when he came in, he brought, uh, he brought a coach with him and he, and he had Housley here already. Cause Housley's the only guy who survived the, uh, the tr- when Tross was let go. So, uh, you know, I, Figuring out that defensive problem has has stuck around, and and I'm certainly not opposed to uh, clearing house. Um, I mean, for example, if there were to be rumors, and I have seen no rumors of this, just making it clear for anyone listening, if you know, like, Paul was like, well, you know, can we talk to Boudreaux? You know, maybe we were ready to do a coaching change. Maybe we kind of have a phone call with with uh, with Bruce, see if he's if he's got any interest. You know, then you might just try to clear house. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, but I don't, I, I, the issue I think is that it's very difficult to, to say that Laviolette is, ha, needs to move out. He's got a three-year curse or a three-year window where he's effective because he does pretty well. I mean, he's, he tends to have a, he has like a winning record with the Predators mm-hmm. and who's replacing him. I mean, who's replacing him? I think that's the biggest question. Uh, are you drawing from a set pool of manage of, of coaches? Are you, do you have someone in the, in the wings you think is the next guy uh, certainly if they're hoping Housley's the guy, nope. I haven't seen indication that he is, um, that he's got that talent, even though he's stuck around. Yeah. I, I just think unless they, they know that they can bring in someone better and there's the, the guys who are available who are better either may retire in Hitch, Hitchcock where no one's sure who's going to coach, uh, next season or not. And then Boudreaux, I, you got to keep Laviolette. I mean, he's just, he's the better option compared to what's in the market outside of, Bruce Boudreaux or, or the potential of Ken Hitchcock. Okay, so um, into the final thoughts on the, on today's show. We've covered a lot, quite a lot of you know information and a lot of, a lot of uh, Preds topics to talk about. The Predators do have a bye week this week, starting after tonight's game against the Dallas. Um, so they got they got five days off in a row. 
Yeah, back-to-backs, five days off, and then back-to-backs on the road. Yeah, that's kind of rough. Uh, yeah, you get a week off, but the weekends on either side are going to be hell. And the Saturday game's a 7 p.m. start. The Sunday game's a 5 p.m. start. So you got less than 24 hours between games. And you're flying from Minneapolis to Columbus. That's that's pretty rough. That's a rough uh, turnaround. But um, like like we talked about, there's uh, five, five games off before then. So um, I don't know. I guess it all depends on how they finish tonight. If they finish strong, you know, we'll feel good about this bye week if they finish with a win against Dallas, but I don't know that um, there's much in the, in the, there's much momentum leaning them, leaning them that way. I mean, I, I would think that they would play okay considering how bad they were yesterday, but who knows? Dallas games are always, always important matchup for the Predators because these are, these are two teams who seem to either uh, counter each other or go in with the same mindset and like to mix it up and, the Predators certainly going to bring the toughness factor with the fourth line. They're going to be happy to mix it up with um, all the the goony depth guys that the Dallas seems to you know thaw out for the games. Uh, so it should be. I mean, it should be. <laughs> if nothing else, it should be entertaining. Um, and I think guys. the Predators should. I I think they should come come out of this with a win. Yeah. Granted, granted, when you're listening to this, it's going to be after the game. So maybe I, maybe I'll sound like an idiot <laughs> in retrospect. Yeah. yeah, here's hoping that they get a win. Talking about you know. Uh, Goonie guys, maybe Cody McLeod will fight Jamie Ben. That'd be entertaining. Oh, mm-hmm. I would, I would, I would. That would immediately redeem McLeod in my eyes. Granted, I'm not. You know what? There's one thing. There's one thing I forgot to talk about because I was going to tweet about it. I'm like, no, I'm going to save it for the show. Okay. So Cody McLeod's goal on Tuesday. Yes. I think it was on Tuesday, and he had Wait, the, the the rebound goal. The yeah, I think so. Was it against the Rangers. That was the Thursday. Was yeah, it against Thursday the Rangers? Against the Rangers. Thank you. Okay, against the Rangers. So uh, during the for the in, the the in, intermission interview, uh, he was he they he was he was the guy being interviewed, the player being interviewed, and uh, Lindsey Rowley asked him about the goal, and so McLeod goes, "Well, we were we were you know grinding and mucking and and doing all these you know we were grinding and mucking, and that's how those things happen." I wa- I go back and I'm watching the goal because that's not what I saw. There was no grinding and mucking going on. What happened, and I wish that even the fourth liners, this was clear with them. That what that goal was scored because McLeod was in front of the net, holding his ground, took advantage of a rebound, put it away. He was doing exactly what you need to do in hockey to score goals. He was not mucking and grinding. He was <laughs> doing all the right things to score a good rebound goal. And you can call it a dirty goal, call it a trash goal, but it was a legit quality hockey goal. Not mucking and grinding. And I think calling it mucking and grinding is a huge disservice to the work that line did in, the, in McLeod's goal, but it's this mental perception mm-hmm. that you get caught up in and that we are the muckers and grinders and we're proud of that. And anything we do, it's just like either ha-ha good luck or John Scott all-star game. Like, oh, look at me go. You never expect me to have talent and skill even though I'm in the NHL. Yeah, maybe uh, they're sabotaging themselves. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I wanted to say, hey, I'll praise McLeod for doing that because he – earned that goal in every mm-hmm. way and it wasn't just like a poke garbage goal it was a really quality effort um also in, in the same breath the fourth line is like endemic of what the predators problems are yeah because they think that's a solution right exactly yeah. i mean it doesn't change the fact that uh he and the other fourth liners are terrible possession players and they give the puck up a lot constantly yeah they're most effective when in the offensive zone where they're less lucky to score yeah. even though mcleod's got what two goals to the predators this season two or three three, yeah. three? Yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean which is like uh, totally unexpected. Great. Right. Just give him, take some credit for it, McLeod. Don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for us. Um, we appreciate you listening. Uh, this is, uh, you're listening to the Predcast. You can follow the show at On the Forecheck. Uh, you can follow Link at, at 3D Link 
Maria at underscore Maria underscore K. You can follow me at Alex Darty one. Um, until next time, uh, we got a lot of games, a lot of days off, so a lot of relaxing to do. But then uh, we'll be right back at it next weekend. So uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening and uh, you listen to the podcast. <laughs>